0: This week we're starting in Genesis six, verse chapter six. Welcome back, guys. Yeah. Verse five. We'll just jump right into it. They don't don't welcome it says that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, "I will wipe out mankind, whom I have created, from the face of the earth. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and the birds of the air. For I am grieved that I made them." And uh, I'm going to stop right there because this week we're.
1: You're going to stop right before. <laughs> I'm going to stop right best before the flood. In the entire yep. Bible. Yep, that's funny.
0: Um, because this week we're going to focus on God, okay, not God Noah, Noah, not the flood. This, this week's about God's reasons This for the is going to
1: flip God over into a different territory for most people of what they considered Him to be like, probably.
0: Well, uh, we all know what's coming. Even people who ha- haven't really read the whole chapter ever in their life. Everybody's uh, heard of the flood. They all know God wipes out the world. And yeah. that even though this is a story of God's judgment, This is the story that most people use to judge God. And uh, it's kind of, well, it's insanely hypocritical of us. Uh, Man is always thinking that he knows better than God. For some reason. You go to the story of Jonah, and that's a story when God wants to spare all of the people. And Jonah looks at the people and he says, "Uh, Lord, I don't want to preach to them. I know that you were a God that's slow to anger and abounding in love. And I knew that if you gave them the chance to repent, they would turn from their wicked ways and turn and follow you. And and, uh, Jonah flees what God tells him to do. And, of course, God spares the city and Jonah gets upset about it. And then... There's, uh, oh, that time when the prophet Nathan goes to David, and he says there was a man with a flock of sheep, and uh, a traveler came to visit him in his house, and instead of taking one of his own flocks, he went to his neighbor and stole his little lamb that the whole family loved and that they treated like one of their own children, and he killed that and sacrificed it for the traveler who visited and David burns with anger, and he says, oh, this man should die. He should pay four times of what was known. And Nathan, you know, sticks his finger in David's face, and he says, you are the man. <laughs> you know, from your own mouth, you pass judgment on yourself. And David immediately falls prostrate, you know, and he's like, oh, I've sinned in the eyes of the Lord. And it's just the idea that uh, we're always exercising. It's like of all God's attributes that we shared in, of all, all of the things that, all of the qualities of God that man is supposed to look at God and learn from and take after Him for. The one thing we're not supposed to do is go after judgment. That seems to be the one thing that we just have seized and made it our own, and we all think, I'm a better judge than God. And when God says that he saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time, and and that his heart was filled with pain, and that this was a mournful thing God did, and yet we look at God in this scripture and too often our response is God is uh, malevolent and malicious and unforgiving. And he should have cut these people some break and he just wiped them out. And what kind of a God could do that? So it's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing to even consider. And in today's world, he, when Jesus came, he talked about how we're going to be sinning just as bad as they did before the days of the flood. And how he, when he comes back, we're going to be just as tolerant. And uh, it's a question of whether we're going to be holy in this time or whether we're going to be tolerant of evil. And tolerance is preached today is uh, a virtue. In God's time, it was considered a great evil. I mean, whenever he first gives Israel the law, he says frequently, you must purge the evil from among you. You must distinguish between right and wrong, and you must purge the wrong from among you. I don't want you to tolerate any wickedness. I want you to put it to death. And, uh, Many people, when they think about the law, are, I want to say, uh, philosophers who came up with the concepts that go into law and justice. uh, A lot of them break it down into three parts. They say there are three reasons that you would ever punish somebody for for breaking the law. One is vengeance, that uh, crime deserves punishment, let the punishment fit the crime and the next one would be uh reformation and repentance that you're you're spanking your child so that they'll stop being disobedient you uh-huh. know and they'll turn from their wickedness and pursue evil ways and then the other is is to make an example before everybody else and uh you know like god says uh you know stone this person to death and then everybody will see the price that sin is to be paid, and fear fear of disobeying will spread throughout the whole community,
1: and no one will. It's it's interesting to even think about judgment. Like, why right. is it that we actually have to see judgment before we will change? Is is something that in my own heart sometimes is difficult to understand? Mm-hmm. Is like, you know, wh- why is it that we are like that? Why are we such a warp-minded, crooked people that we actually have to see the consequence of something before we'll actually do something that's right and correct.
0: Some people don't even need it. Like the city of Nineveh, Jonah just preached. He said, look, the wrath of God is coming. And they just heard the word and they changed everything about right. their lives, their culture. They forsook their religions and their practices and they sat in ash cloth. And they prayed, and they repented. And then other people, like the Israelites, they get spanked, you know, metaphorically, time and time and time again. Yet, the book of Joshua is filled with one phrase that's repeated over and over and over. And it's, and Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord.
1: Well, and we go back to that question. Was was man created with this inclination in their heart to need this judgment because they have wicked hearts it says right here then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of their thoughts every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually I mean to think that a people had gotten to the point where all they thought about were evil things constantly you know during the times of Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole city and all the men from that city were at that house with those two angels banging down that door um, to do things that were carnal with a celestial being, with two celestial beings. The whole city, it said, was, was there of That men. sounds
0: like the same sin that the men were committing pre flood times, doesn't it?
1: It's it's just an odd thought that in our in today's world we look back at stories like this and then we see this road to heaven and our society makes that road so wide instead of looking at it like Sodom and Gomorrah or looking at it like the times during the flood we look at it in terms that are way wider, are way, open, you know, like broad arms that, that will extend and, and just and capture everybody. And every story in the scripture, you know, when, when, when they're talking about the kingdom of heaven, it talks about a narrow, narrow door that you're going through. It's talking about a narrow right. path that you're walking on. Um, you know, not walking or standing on a fence, but being on one side or not being hot or cold, not being lukewarm. There's all these concepts in scripture that are opposed to the way that people think today right and I think this is a, is a perfect example I mean in anytime you open up your mouth to speak about Christ and about his kingdom you need to definitely do it with a non-judgmental heart because you cannot judge an unbeliever because every every inclination of their heart is evil I mean unless they have the spirit inside of them there is no good in them, right? Well, I mean, is that, is see, that what this is meaning?
0: That's, that's one of the facts about Scripture here that confuses people is the fact that what, whatever we are today, it, we can't be better or worse than the people back then. I am no more deserving of God's grace right. and His acceptance and His mercy than they were. You know? If we're all made alike under God... And if our righteous acts are the same, then why did God deal with these people differently? Then Jesus died on the cross for us, and he took our sins uh, upon himself, but these people he just punished. In fact, all throughout the Bible, uh, not just here, but, well, till the end of time, you see God occasionally just striking people down. And it's not always clear why. I mean, there was an instance where, uh, you know, the Israelites are moving the Ark of the Covenant, and an ox stumbles, and he reaches out to catch the Ark. And it says in the Bible that God's spirit, God's wrath burned against him because of his irreverence, that he would reach out and catch the Ark. When, I mean, anybody else would say... That man loved God, you know, and reaching out and catching the ark was an act of compassion and and, and respect and reverence. But uh, God strikes him down right where he stands because uh, ultimately, what it comes down to is the flood and all of these uh, all of these instances past it where God strikes people down. wrath, It's a testament to His holiness. In fact, this is one of the first times we're going to see God's holiness begin to express itself in this way, you know. And uh, before we we heard God look at creation and say, uh, God looked at the earth and He saw that it was good. And we hear the word good repeatedly over and over and over. It's the tree of good and evil, not the holy and unholy. You know, and uh it's tempting for us to say that holiness and good mean the same thing, yeah, but uh, I would say that um, what is lost here what what we've been witnessing for the last two podcasts through the generations, and we see God's spirit uh saying, "I will no longer." contend with man forever for he is mortal and uh then this is the last instance that we see uh, spiritual spiritual like beings demons just walking around on the earth you know and god physically manifesting himself before mankind we see the spiritual world pulling away from the physical world, and we see this great withdrawing. And then people no longer just speak to God. They have to pray to God with their eyes closed because He no longer appears before them. And it's just this significant loss to where God starts to say, okay, saying the word good isn't enough. When I describe describe something that my spirit's in, I, I have to distinguish between the holy and the common now because not everything is holy anymore. This world is no longer a holy world. My, my spirit in heaven is, is divorcing itself from it. And then we see uh, the planet go through a baptism to where uh, it's almost like it was baptized into death. kind of a reversal baptism because after this uh, animals and man we we start to eat meat and uh, God talks about animals when he says when he describes the animals that go into the ark he describes them as clean and unclean animals something that he didn't you, you don't really hear about in Genesis and we start to notice that uh, the contrast between heaven and earth is growing, and uh, that's when God can no longer tolerate how far away man is getting from his spirit. It's his holy response, his holy intolerance to man's evil, you know. If anyone, I think, today looks back and says, well, God shouldn't have reacted the way he did with the flood, or maybe God shouldn't respond so strongly to the sin. You know, in in modern culture, we have this, uh, this feeling, let the punishment fit the crime, right? You don't stone somebody to death just for speeding, do right. you? And they often quote Jewish law and they say, isn't that excessive? They stone somebody to death for that little, you know, indecency, and they accuse them of being fascist back in the day. Well, what it was is the Jews and God and scripture And true Christians understand something about sin that we've lost over the time and that's the true face of evil Uh, if we think that God was being too far that his punishment was too extreme then that's because we haven't really seen the face of our sin that we don't really understand exactly how evil the things we do are how godless we as a people are. And we don't understand the punishment that it really deserves. We don't understand how holy and good God truly is and how wretched we truly are. I'm reminded of that time when Jesus finally reveals himself to Peter as the Christ. And Peter's first response is, go away from me Lord. I am a sinful man. I can't I can't bear to be in your presence, you know? And we see that this is the face of holiness, unrestrained holiness's response to evil. And this is righteous judgment. Man can criticize and and, uh, like the quote from Epicurus I, I mentioned before, is God able to stop evil? but not willing, you know, then he's malevolent. Is he willing but not able? Then he's not omnipotent. And the thing is, we see throughout the Bible, time and again, in the flood, God is absolutely able and willing to stop evil dead in its tracks. Uh, You move forward to Jesus' time. God is able to not only stop it, but to do away with it and to prevent it.
1: And you know what I think is something that's really interesting to me? So God set up His law, His book of the law. He he gave it to Moses, who gave it to the people. In His law, there was prophecies of of the Messiah. Um, There's end times language in there about what we're going to see even today in our day and age. And some of the things that are going to happen during the end times, the Messiah, all these things were prophesied, and, and there was a law set up for people to remember because their minds were not capable of the things that God's mind is capable, which is to remember good and only do good. And so we're constantly forgetful, and I think it's interesting because I think as a, as a people— we're degenerating genetically, you know. Right. Obviously, mutations are happening. People are de- degenerating um, in, in a lot of different ways. But the Bible says in Second Timothy 4, 2, it says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's In, in today's day and age... Um, So we had Catholicism, and in Catholicism, they set up a lot of traditions so that people would remember the Word of God and certain different things. Now, the the large part of Catholicism is straight from the Bible, but there are things that are not biblical. And then you had the Protestant Reformation, which in the Protestant Reformation, they tried to move people to the Bible and to the Word, back to this reprove, rebuke, extort in, in the teaching and not in the Catholic Church. Right. But the funny thing is modern-day believers uh, have completely done away with a lot of traditions, which is good, and I know there's verses about that. Well, but at the same time, I just heard this person just the other day talking about the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, and they had you know switched over to the Catholic Church because they said, because of the Catholic traditions, people are more able to understand what the Bible was actually teaching because of the traditions they had set up, and people today are not capable of understanding that. And I'm sitting there going... I guess kind of a flawed thinking, well, because we are capable of understanding if we read this word, if we teach this word, and what I'm getting to right here, Sean, is as a as a culture of people, the Scripture says, "Repent of your sins," does it not? Sure. In the Catholic Church, they would stand before the priest and they would repent of their sins. They would actually take the action to say, I'm sorry, and they should have been doing it to Christ. But how many times today, without having some type of tradition or without this remembrance, do people actually come before God and actually stand in repentance before God with a sorrowful heart and even recognize sin? You know, I've noticed some people, I see all kinds of sins, and I'm just like, did you, Do you know that sin? I'm not sin. I'm just angry because they did that. They should change this. Right. And it's like, No, that's like, that is sin. Like, you should, re- I mean, that's something that you should repent of. And repentance is sometimes not even a thing nowadays. Well, and it's, and I don't know if it's because there's no traditions for repentance or if it's the fact that the people today are not in the Word understanding these things of what Christ is actually teaching them. And there's a lot of things set up in the scriptures that, that God put in place so that people would remember. But if you go back to the scriptures, it says, um, Put me in remembrance. Um, but the helper in John 14, 26, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. So they right. take a verse like that and they say, well, I've got Jesus, so I can remember all that he said. Right. And then they forget all the other things that he taught and they, and they put their Bible on their shelves and it builds up dust. And they don't realize that just because you had the Holy Spirit, you know, you're not being taught all things just because that spirit is in you. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you really do need to do things to help you remember what he said. Well, which helps you to grow. It helps you to grow closer to him, helps you to be stronger in your faith, helps you to defeat the enemy, and you know, helps you to be one of those people like Noah was who was righteous in his time and was not destroyed as a result of that.
0: You know, it's funny. I, uh, I thought you were going to Romans chapter 1, which we've kind of been quoting the whole time, but it says, for them, uh, although they knew God, They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to them, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then later you scroll down and it says, Furthermore, if they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. And you do see that it's very precious to remember and to abide. Uh, thing is it it's a flip. It, it, it's, it's a, it's a balancing act. Two sides of the same coin because <laughs> God gave us the law. Right. Why? To lead us to him. Right. But the law wasn't able to wasn't do able away to with sin.
1: Yeah.
0: It wasn't able to do with sin. And mankind actually didn't find God in the law. Instead, sin used the law to make prideful man assert himself as Lord over other men. Mm -hmm. And then now we have the Spirit and we think, well, I don't need the law. And so, we think, uh, well, since I've got the Spirit, I'm going to live however I want to live. (laughs) You know? And, And we don't adjust our life to a godly culture. And as a result, we forget who God is. Right. And we start just worshiping this made-up imagination, kind of a projection of ourselves, whom, like, well, the God I know is strangely a lot like me, you know?
1: Well, and And we also try to make Jesus different than God. And we try to separate the two entities in Scripture here, which were unified, Right. just because we don't understand Hebrew and we don't understand God and we don't understand his text correctly you know everything in the scripture points to God being one but when you have Jesus there people want to try to separate God being one and now there's a second God or there's a there's 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 this different entity and also not only that but If you look back into history, the people also were being saved by their faith. Because it says here in Hebrews chapter 11, Now faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Right. And it says, By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death he could not be found because God had taken him away but for before he was taken he was commended as one who pleased God and and it goes on about Noah and this is what we're about to read about it says by faith Noah when warned about things not yet to seen in holy fear right so he's which should be a good faith. topic
0: for next week.
1: Yeah, but in the Holy Fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he commended the world and became heir of the righteous, that is, in keeping with faith. So it was faith all the way back to the beginning. And if we try to make Jesus something different than God, then how are people saved all the way back to the beginning? You know, you had sent me a text earlier did. asking me that question.
0: Well, yeah, the question is, for our listeners, that uh, Jesus died, the crucifixion was supposed to save the whole world, not just for the people who believed after, but for the people in the Old Testament who heard God's promise, all the way back to Adam and Eve, you know, your seed will undo everything, and it will crush the head of the enemy, and it will redeem mankind. Everyone who latched on to the promises and held on to it and looked forward in faith, they were saved by that faith. Right. Right. But it doesn't seem like the same laws of grace applied equally to everybody. I mean, uh, man certainly wasn't spared in this time. It says uh, Jesus when Jesus was talking about the flood times, he said they were eating and drinking right, in, right up until the day, and they had no idea what was about to befall them until the whole flood just wiped them out. And I guess the question is, is how do we balance the God that we know in the New Testament with this extreme wrath that we see in the Old Testament? Uh, and well, where do you see God's love? But, you know, what's a funny thing is that most people don't ask is, is this God of wrath present in the New Testament? And the fact is, this God never went anywhere. He never changed. That's what Jesus dying on the cross was for. People forget, God crucified Jesus on the cross, and he poured out all of his wrath on him. The flood that wiped out the whole earth, Jesus basically stood and took the brunt of that for all mankind. And for what purpose? People would say love. Well, no, God created man in love. All that man had to do was exist in that love. The reason Jesus had to die was because of man's sin. Jesus died because we're evil, because we're wicked. And then they think they... they. Uh, They latch on this explanation of love and they they tote it around with them and they try to beat God with it every moment they can in Scripture and say, see, God, uh, this is who you're supposed to be. And they forget about God's justice. When even in the New Testament, when God looks at believers like you and me, he says, every single one of you has to die. I'm sorry, but you're not going to be saved Without death. Death is how God overcomes sin. It is the method He chose. Every single one of us has to die to ourselves and our heart. We have to be crucified with Jesus. We have to be cleansed, just like the whole world here was cleansed. And we have to be wiped out. And we have to absorb all of this. And if you go... Well, back to Romans six, it says our old self was crucified with Jesus, so that the body of sin may be done away with; that it should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed of sin. And we think, well, death again is not a punishment that fits the crime. Right. You know, we think, can't God spank us? You know, and just warn us? Is it really that big a deal? And the fact is that we don't understand sin. We don't understand how evil it is. Every single time I think about why the flood had to happen, I think, and why we're so confused about it, it's because we don't understand God's holiness and we don't understand our sin. And we really don't understand death either. You know, death has a precarious uh, relationship with both God and man in the Bible. Death goes from being something that God orchestrates, and God has a personal angel of death to exact his will. And then it's also something that's mocked and called an enemy of man in the Bible. And you're almost like, I don't know which side death is on. And yet... When the time comes, I guess it depends
1: on what side of death you fall.:
0: <laughs> Exactly. Death can either be here or there for you. For any of us who are with Jesus mm-hmm. we've overcome death.:
1: Yeah, there, there really is no death for those who know Christ. Right. We've overcome it.: We
0: live even though we die. That's the which is a paradox the God revealed but. through
1: Christ. You know what's interesting? In, in Jude, we had talked about this the last time we yes, met. We Jude did. chapter one verse five. It says, "But I want to remind you, though, you once knew this: that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe." And so, these are the Jewish people. They were called by God. They were in Egypt. Um, they were being persecuted. They were, they were basically slaves to the Egyptians, and God delivered them out of that. And it says after they were out in the wilderness, you know, they were going to go into the promised land, and Joshua was looking over, and and last time we were here, we talked about how they were looking over the people, and they they were like grasshoppers to these giants. In Genesis 6, we talked a little bit about um, some of the things that come up when you read Genesis 6 about who these giants are from and how all this works. But it says afterwards, destroyed those who did not believe. So God was destroying those who did not believe. And it says, and the angels and they and they weren't believing that God would be able to conquer this land, that God was going to be able to do this. And it says and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, after set, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so, if you read a verse like this, you ha- you have to ask yourself: These angels gave themselves over. Uh, the Jewish people gave themselves over to sin. They did not believe. And it seems like when you talk to most people, they have this well, concept that just because they have God in their mind as a belief, or just because it's they an have an
0: overconfidence.
1: Yeah, just because they have a religious belief about God, or maybe they're spiritual, or maybe maybe they're good people that they're going to be saved from this eternal fire. And the truth of the matter is you will not be saved unless you have his holy spirit and have a relationship with this god. As those in the times of Noah did, Noah and his family. Or like in you know what, you know what, when I was reading Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot his the son-in-laws of his two daughters they didn't believe that it was going to be destroyed and they wanted to stay in the city. The sons in law The son-in-laws. Oh, wow. And it was only the daughters and the mom that were saved. Well, see, I think that is... You you know, the main
0: difference... There's an old saying. uh, Someone once said that you'll understand the value of water when you're forced to carry every drop. Yeah. Right. And... Ultimately, what it comes down to is people don't understand the cost. When we're looking at the flood, we're looking at the cost of sin. We're looking at the price. Yeah. You know, God says time and time again the wages of sin is death. This whole world is given over to sin, and we see the whole world wiped out. Yeah. And understanding that makes. Every one of us who is, uh, I want to say, spiritually awakened, who is in tune with our conscience, whenever we sin, we feel the weight of sin, and we know the value of holiness. Right. Right? So, being convicted in your conscience, we understand the value of that. Jesus, well, Jesus said, keep my word in you. Let it abide in you. Let it bear fruit. Keeping his word in us when we live throughout our life, those are the things that make us respond in faith. Those are the things that uh, when, you know, we hear the word of the Lord, we don't pass it by and say, I'll be fine. I've got the spirit of God, you know, whatever. And we do these evil deeds in our life, and we're desensitized to it. Why? Because we divorced ourselves from our conscience. And we no longer see the value of anything. And because we no longer retained the knowledge of God, we become depraved in our thinking. And we think there is no consequence to sin. And there is no value to righteousness. And we began to mock it all. And then that's when you enter the tolerant mindset. And we say evil is not evil. It's just different. You know? The devil just went his own way. And the result is today in our modern culture, it's a greater evil to judge than it is to do evil. Yeah, isn't that true? And you can do anything. You you can be a prostitute, you Don't can judge be a me. drug Don't dealer. Judge me. Right. And yeah. the man who's the worst evil is the man who judges the well, prostitute. Well, and the drug and dealer. Jesus
1: is the one who started that. <laughs> right? Because the Pharisees are sitting there saying, well, I'm holy, you know, and he's saying, no, you're not. No. (laughs) No, you're not. Whoa, you hypocrites. You whitewashed
0: tombs. (laughs) And you know what's sad is prostitutes and drug dealers look back at Jesus and they they see him waving his finger at the Pharisees and they're like, aha, and they get behind Jesus thinking, ah, Jesus is smacking the church down. They don't realize... Jesus is smacking everybody down because right. if the Pharisees couldn't make it, what right. makes them think they will?
1: Well, and that's, and that's why I think God was so angry with the people because they had made a law system for themselves. Okay, they were following this law system, but inside their hearts they hated one another. Yeah. And they were like, well, I'm doing this better than you, and I'm doing that better than you, and yeah. you're terrible, and you're here, and, I, and I'm here, and here's my level, here's your level. I'm going to wear a robe. You're going right. to walk under my feet. And you know, I'm going to hire you say? as a slave because I'm, I'm holier than you. I've got more money because God's blessing me more than you. And there's all these levels of, they wanted to call it faith, but in reality it was a law system that they had made for themselves that God was not pleased with. And then Jesus sits there and reveals who God truly is, which is a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God who wants people to have a relationship with him. And not only that, but a relationship with one another, a loving relationship with through holiness, husbands, wives, that can only be attained through the Holy Spirit and through Christ and his teachings that you can accomplish this. There's no other way. You cannot do it through abiding by the law, being judgmental, being angry. You know, these are kind of my thoughts on what some of the stages are to sin. First, you start fearing what's going on. You start worrying about it. Then you get angry about it. And then um, the last part is separation. It's the same thing with the marriage, right? First, uh, let's just say... The wife starts worrying because you don't have enough money. Well, then then she may say, well, you're not doing a good job managing our finances. And then she starts having fear and takes it on you. Now she starts getting angry. And then eventually she's like, I'm going to take all the money. And you're going to have to go this. And eventually it leads to divorce. It's like, it's the same thing with every part of life. Sin leads to fear, which leads to worrying, which leads eventually and ultimately to separation. And...
0: You know, the sad part of it is, is it all started with one man. One man and one woman, just like you're talking about. Right. And it's funny, but we're, we're under the same delusion that they were. We all think, my sin doesn't hurt anybody but me. Right. But you, you read the Bible, and God makes it very clear. One man's soul affects the entire world. Just like the sin, sin came and death reigned through one man, so Jesus saved the entire world. Just one man each time. And whether we like to admit it or not, and this is the, this is the fear that grips every child. I hate to say it. It's the idea that we're going to turn into our father. Yeah. You know, God just sort of designed us that way. Whether we want to admit it or not, we all end up looking like our dad. And. Jesus said, yeah, you, you, will, you will be your father, all of you. So who is your father? He said to the Pharisees, your father is the father of lies, and you'll be just like him, a liar. He said, but to anyone who will believe in my name, you be adopted as sons, and you will cry, Abba, Father, And I will transform you. I will change your heart. I will make you new, just like we made the world new. I mean, we're going to read about that later. But God wipes out the whole earth. And then green plants start to grow. The animal, you know, doves light on nests. and, And mankind strikes out. And it's a new dawn. And they look up at the sky. And there's something new that mankind has never seen before in the clouds. And it's a rainbow. And it's God declaring the same thing he declares in, in uh, the Gospels, yeah. in the book of Revelations. Right. It's, see, I am making all things new. Right. And the fact is, every single one of us, in every single day of our lives, because God is a sovereign God who judges evil and says, I don't like evil. I'm not going to tolerate it in your life. I'm going to wipe it out. I'm going to wipe it out of your soul. I'm going to wipe it out of your heart, and I'm not satisfied there. I'm going to wipe it out of your life, and I'm going to use you to wipe it out of your home and your family and your country and the way of life, and we're going to keep beating the darkness back until it's in hell.
1: Now, Sean, here's my question for the people that are listening. I think we all have to look at our own hearts in this whole scenario of sin and death, and we have to ask ourselves, what is it? What is the sin in my own heart? And really evaluate that. Because a lot of times we can see the sins in someone else. Right. And, and they can see the sins well, in us. And if you ask them, they're going to tell you, I know what your sin is, man. You're very prideful. Yeah. You're a very arrogant person. Or You know what I'm saying? That's,
0: that's why when we say it earlier about <laughs> the importance of being connected to your own conscience and right. feeling the cost and knowing the worth of God's mm-hmm. words, when you're in tune with your conscience and you sin, your conscience convicts you. And it tells you, hey, this is your sin, you know. And if people who don't know what their own sin is and they only know what other people's sin is, exactly. they need to find their conscience again. Yes. They, need, it, they need to pray to God to, uh, what is it, reattach the limb to the vine repentance. grafted in. Right. This conscience that they've seared with a hot iron, they, um, it needs to be grafted back into them. And they need to be given the... Yeah. Their heart needs to be fanned into if, a flame again. It, I mean, why... you you We've asked the question, we haven't answered it yet, and that's to my fault. You know, we asked repeatedly, what is the difference between the sinners that got wiped out in the Old Testament and the sinners who got saved by Jesus in the New Testament? And there's one answer. Because in... Uh, well, I mean, it says here that the
1: thoughts of here's my thoughts on it <laughs> while you're looking for that verse oh i've got it in right in leviticus here. in the old testament it was the sacrifice of animals that forgave sins oh it says and it wasn't the sacrifice clearly. ultimately that was pleasing to god it was it was their hearts and it was their belief Jesus' sacrifice their covered repentance.
0: all of those Exactly. Though. what's the
1: difference So that's not says, that wasn't the point
0: it says in the new testament that we know We know that when God judges people, he judges rightly. That's in Romans chapter 6. And it was
1: in Cain and Abel, it was what was in Abel's heart that allowed his offering to be acceptable to God. There was not evil in his heart about that.
0: Romans chapter 2, verse 2. It says, We know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Yeah. Okay. It's like when Samuel went to appoint a king over Israel and he looked at Jesse's six sons, and Jesse, and Jesse's like Samuel's like, surely these are the king. And God says, Look, you look at the outward man, but I look at the heart. And that's the difference between our judgment and God's. When we judge each other, we look at each other from the outside, but God is a righteous judge. Yeah. And when He looked at the people of the Old Testament, yeah. He looked into their hearts. Right. He looked into the very center, the core of their being. And ultimately, the difference between the people who died in the flood and the people who were saved by grace in the New Testament, that fine line is repentance. Yeah. The people who died in the flood were beyond repentance. God knows. They
1: had a relationship. Because if you have a relationship with someone you're going to be very sorrow when, when, you're, when you sin against them. You're going to be sorrowful about yes. Them. You're, going to, you're going to want to cry out. You're going to want to find out what the problem is, fix the problem. You're going to want to repent before God, ask Him to help your relationship or whatever it is. Well, even and that's, then. that's the heart of someone who really loves, truly loves someone.
0: Even if you're not feeling those feelings. I mean, the people of Nineveh. Before Jonah came, they had that relationship with God. They had just forgotten it. Yeah. They had forgotten who they were. They needed to get back to their first love. Absolutely. And That's like you said before, they didn't retain the knowledge. They didn't keep the memory of they, God they alive forgot. inside them and they forgot. Jonah comes and he reminds them and he brings what was a dying spark back into a fiery flame. But the fact is, is God looks into their hearts and he knows it doesn't matter if I send a Jonah to you. You're never going to repent. Mm-mm. I know that.
1: Same thing with Cain. He knew it.
0: No. He, he knows you're what you. are coming before me with
1: evil in your heart. Could've,
0: the the coulda, woulda, shouldas yeah. of the situation, God knows the inevitable outcome. He can see it. And in the New Testament even, God says, look, some of you, I'm done with you. Paul even, he says, I shake my hands and I'm done with you. I'm no longer going to preach to you. Why? Because my time is precious. My time on this planet is limited. I've only got so much preaching that I can do in my life. And no matter how much I (laughs) preach to you, you're never going to get it. So he said, that's it. I'm done. I hand you over to Satan. And if Satan doesn't scare you back to God, well, then you're just doomed.
1: My mom... Is one of the wisest women I know When it comes to the scriptures And I was ministering to an elderly lady the other day And I was texting my mom I said you know I I called her and talked to her about it And this lady was hesitant to believe in God And have faith in God And believe in in Jesus Christ As as her Lord and Savior And that Jesus Christ was um, Was was God To her in her heart and, And could forgive her And I asked my mom what should I tell her And my mom says you need to tell her that she needs to repent of her sins and ask her to really have a sorrowful heart for her sins and ask God to come into her heart. And I texted her back and I'm like, yeah, but I think she understands that. And you know, now the more that I think about it, my mom was ver- was right about that. She's completely really? right. Because if, if, if this lady were to sit, and this is what I want to say to those who are listening, if you're listening to this podcast, the first step to salvation is admitting that you're a sinner and really knowing it and and identify what those sins are. And then the second step would would be to ask God to come into your heart and John the Baptist prepared the way of repentance. And so I think this is the first step is to repent of your sins and then ask Christ to come into your heart and forgive you. And and this is a perfect example of what leads us to salvation the Holy Spirit he says he will give you as a result of that he will give it to you and then going forward do that same step daily right. in your sins do that same step in your relationships do that and, and you know what some people they go like this Lord I'm so sorry I've done this and I've done that and and then they go back and do it again Maybe a week later. And and then they get depressed and then they're full of anxiety. False repentance. And then, well, it's not necessarily false repentance. It's just. It doesn't last, though. Repentance is forgiveness for your sins. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin again. If it happens again, have a sorrowful heart and repent again. Go back to the scripture. If you do it again, repent again. Don't sit there and think to yourself, oh, I've tried it last time. It didn't work. You know, it might have worked. For three days, it might have worked for a week. I will take
0: three days. I mean, if repenting gives me three days (laughs) in the presence of God and His forgiveness and peace, absolutely, I'll take it.
1: Repentance is the secret and the key to a a right relationship with God. I used to work with kids, and that was one of the one of the things that I had to teach the teachers was: look, this kid used to punch someone every twenty seconds. Now he's punching somebody once an hour. <laughs> and then, the, and, then it, and then we had progress. And she was like, well, that's not progress. He's still punching. I'm sending him to the office. And I'm like, okay. But you need to understand that that is progress. And then the next year it was once a day. And then the next year it was once a week. And I'm like, look, back then it was once every 20 seconds. We are seeing progress. And that's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that repentance is working wow. and that we need to continue to do that, to draw closer to Christ. And, you know, at the end of our lives, hopefully, like uh, Paul, we can say, we fought the good fight. We've kept the faith because that's the ultimate goal is keeping the faith, keeping the faith.
0: You know, the challenge there, though, is returning, <laughs> returning to a God that you've made an enemy of. That's, a, that's usually what hinders people. Is they think about prayer? They're in the depths of their sin. They just spent ten hours—I uh, don't know—looking at porn or something. Right. Though they feel rotten about themselves, and God is a mirror that shows them every ugly part of their their face. You know, they're at the lowest of the low, and God is nothing but a, a cruel cool reminder. And they just don't feel like praying in that moment. Coming to God is going to f- have any sort of a loving reunion. You know, they don't imagine a loving reunion. And I think part of that is because uh, when we make an enemy of our own fathers and we go back to the family reunion, all we ever do is start up family fights that we were doing 10 years ago. You know, but God says, I'm a different father. I'm reminded him of the prodigal son story. You know, this kid looked at his dad and said, you know, Dad, I don't want to spend my life with you. I want I don't want to share it with you. You are a means to an end. You're you're how I'm going to get my inheritance. And rather than wait and love you for it, I want it all early and I want to spend it on myself and I want to waste it away. And the father's like, well, okay, son. And the son leaves. He he cashes in on his dad. He abandons his family. He runs halfway across, and he's sitting there with the pigs, feeling rotten about himself. And somehow, uh, I think it's because deep down, he really knows his dad. He knows what kind of man his dad is. He knows knows it'll be okay. And he says to himself, I will return to my father. And he goes back to his dad, and his dad doesn't sit there and stare at him and be like, well, look who came crawling back on his hands and knees. You know, that's how we imagine. That's how our earthly fathers might do it. You know, they they would rub it in. But uh, God takes off his robe He runs to find his son. He throws it around him. He puts a ring on his finger. Immediate restoration. Immediate acceptance. Immediate love. And Jesus says time and time again, if someone sins to you, like, what, seven times, seven times a day, and every single time they come back and ask you for forgiveness, I want you to forgive them every single time. Because that's who I am. I want you to reflect me in their life. And I don't want you... To ever think that it's not a good time to pray, or that it's not a good time to come to me. Yeah. If you're in the middle of sin, I don't want you to wait. I want you to pray to me because I love you and I accept you. And you know what? Even if, even if the prayer doesn't immediately lead to you throwing down that heroin and walking out of that, you know, uh, drug house. Uh, it's still better. It's better for you to have me in your life well. and for us to be working towards something together than it is for you to sit there and try and figure out your muck on your own because people who try to figure out their muck on their own, those are the people who try to swim for 40 days and 40 nights without an ark. Mm. You can't do it. You know,
1: right.
0: I'm sure they tried.
1: And let's go back to it's Genesis... Thank you. <laughs> yes, it is. Let's go back to Genesis 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If you go to the New Testament, this is an example of an adult in evil and a child in faith. Okay. Because they have lots of understanding of evil, and... 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, it says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice or evil, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. And so this is the exact opposite of what it's talking about in Genesis. It's saying, be children in evil. Try in your heart. To be adults in his understanding <laughs> and be children in sin. Don't do a lot of sin. Wipe it from your no heart kidding. and in don't your mind sin. and in, in your understanding. Adam of things, just grow up. cracked the Bible code here. He said, put, "Don't sin." <laughs> put your big boy panties on and grow okay. up. Okay. You know, uh, we. I used He's to have a, to a. I used dad, to have so. a preacher, and I thought I think he understood it pretty well, because constantly in his in his Bible verses. He would say, stop grumbling, stop having fears, stop having anxiety and stop worrying because really that's the heart of every sin. That's the heart of every issue and problem is because we don't trust God and we don't trust one another and so we fear what's gonna happen as a result of that lack of trust. And then we worry as a result of not having that relationship with God and trusting our Father and trusting our spouse We have worries, we have anxieties, and then we start grumbling, which is fighting, and then ultimately what happens? We decide to separate from one another, separate from churches, separate from God, and ultimately it leads to sin and depravity and the fall of man, which ultimately leads us to death.
0: Right. Well, I would say the answer to that, I mean... If I were a sinner, and I am a sinner, and yeah. I guess I am going to say this to you, you can't just say, stop worrying. You can't. You can't just say that. You, can't you know just why? Say stop it. Because it doesn't work like that. People no. are like, oh, stop worrying? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the advice. But no, to the <laughs> listeners who have that response, I want to say that the answer to stop worrying. The okay, answer everybody to tune having. In. Faith. Everybody
1: tune in. Sean is going to give everybody the answer to sin. I cannot wait to hear what he says. Well, it's,
0: here. it's what Jesus said. He's, Go ahead. He said, this is interesting. The trick to doing that is just to know God. And that's it. Because if you know God, you'll trust God, because he's trustworthy. If you know God, then you'll love God. If you know God, then you'll believe in God. And if you believe in God, then you'll believe everything will be okay. Knowing God is the first step to undoing all of sin's power in your life.
1: A relationship. The
0: answer to people who are looking at the flood and thinking, I'm knowing a God who is wrathful and who's going to hurt me. I want to say this in the Bible, throughout the Bible, there's a consistent theme to God's wrath. And it's that it's always in response to something. Okay. God, God's wrath, you only see God's wrath happen (laughs) when it's forced, when his hand is forced. But when God is free to be himself, he initiates love. God is a God of love and he's slow to anger and if God's taking Absolutely. his wrath out on you, you better believe you gave him a really good reason for it. Well, I mean, not only
1: that, but these people that are complaining about God's wrath and, and who God is, I can promise you if they make it to heaven... They're not going to be complaining about it then because there's going to be no fighting. There's no sin. There'll be no death. There'll be no. Right. It'll be it'll be God and his glory and his people in the way that he wanted it to be. And they're not going to be saying, well, I sure wish you to let Adolf hit Adolf Hitler come in here. Uh, yeah, I right? don't think
0: so. <laughs> it would be weird to walk up there and I see Adolf Sanity. Hitler and Jesus is like, oh, yeah.
1: Five seconds before he died, he repented, so... You know. I, I think we're going to have to stop this podcast. Sean said it perfectly. <laughs> the understanding, the the truth about how to overcome sin is knowing God. The truth about understanding sin this is, is knowing Jesus, the first step. And knowing part of knowing Jesus is standing before him with a sorrowful heart and repenting of the sins that you have. Amen. It's saying you're sorry and asking God for forgiveness, and he will provide. You ask him for a fish, he'll give it to you. He will provide. You can do that now. You can ask him into your heart. He will provide salvation for you. He will provide life to you. He will have a relationship with you because that's what he wants. He desires you.